Very good. Okay, so I gave you all that time to find the uh, to find the twentieth chapter of Acts. So, um, I, if you remember, in chapter nineteen, uh, that is where we read that Paul spends an inordinate amount of time in Ephesus. He spends more time in Ephesus than he does anywhere else. Okay, and we read. Remember, there was three different stories that we read about in chapter nineteen. One is about people that did not hear of the, the spirit immersion, right? That's the beginning of it. Uh, and then we read about uh, these uh, people in the magic arts that repent and come to faith and, you know, uh, turn in all their materials and, and so on. And, uh, and then uh, we read uh, the last story is uh, about the upheaval in the economics of the city of, Ephes- of Ephesus as a result of the preaching of the good news, uh, and uh, you know the the uh, those who make the uh, the statues uh, are coming upon hard times, uh, and so there's a riot in the city, right? And Paul it could have been killed, right? But he made friends with uh, certain people in high places, and he was able to escape. Now we come to what happens when he escapes. Chapter twenty. There's two parts to chapter twenty. The main part is the second part, uh, and that is where Paul uh, meets up uh, a little bit later with the elders at Ephesus, and he gives them this speech, this great speech, uh, and uh, it's really very important for us to hear that speech. Uh, but the first part of it is sort of a little travelogue of where he goes and, and what he does. And I just wanted to point out a couple of different things. So let's begin by reading, uh, beginning in verse 1 of Acts 20. And after the uproar had ceased, this is the uproar in Ephesus, okay? Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. He's constantly here exhorting, exhorting, teaching, uh, pouring his life into the people that he has raised up. He doesn't just share the good news, plant a congregation, and take off. But he's constantly pouring himself into the people that he has raised up. And that's very important. You know, it reminds me just of a passage in uh, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. And uh, it, to really appreciate First and Second Timothy, this chapter actually is important. Anyway... Uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Messiah Yeshua, and the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul does not see himself as responsible for teaching every single person, but he's pouring himself into the leader's so that they will then pour themselves and teach other people, so that those people will teach other people, right? Uh, And that is a great model. So he exhorts them, all right, and takes his leave of them, and he departs and goes to Macedonia, which is in Greece. And uh, when he had gone through these districts and had given them much exhortation, see, there it is again, given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. He set sail for Syria because, as we'll see, he uh, wants to get to Jerusalem. 
All right? But remember, Syria is where Antioch is. Syria is where home base is the congregation at Antioch, uh, which, you know, is uh, on the way for him to get to uh, Jerusalem. All right. So now we see that he's no lone ranger. He's no lone ranger in verse 3. And he was accompanied by Sopitar of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and by Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, that's our Timothy right there, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So he only, he traveled with an entourage. He did not do this work alone. He did not teach alone. He could not have done it all by himself. Okay? Uh, and that is a great value in the entire operation <laughs> of the Brit Harashah. Okay? That uh, everybody worked in, to use, you know, current kinds of terminology, everybody worked in teams, right? Everybody worked in teams, whether we're talking about the leadership or the whole congregation. That's why, to use modern terminology, it is of great value to the good news to be a team player, you know? To be a, what, what does that mean? To be a team player? That means I'm part of something bigger than myself, but it's not just about me and what I want and what I think and, so on and so forth. When we have that attitude, everything just kaput, as they say, right? Uh, and so this was of great value to, uh, to Paul. And by the way, speaking of that, uh, I'm not going to turn back there, but do you remember earlier on when um, John Mark leaves up and leaves Paul and Barnabas, right? And returns to Jerusalem. And then when it's time to go again, Paul doesn't want to take him because he did not perceive him to be a team player. Barnabas took him with him because it's the kind of guy Barnabas was, you know? Uh, but Paul did not perceive John Mark to be a team player, uh, even though he was, you know, not a bad person and loved the Lord and so on. But he didn't stick with the program when Paul needed him. See? Okay. So that's why Luke mentions the names of these people. He doesn't just say with his group or something, but he names them for us to know forever. Very important. Okay, then it says in verse 5, but these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. Now, by the way, uh, it was some, it, it could very well have been, how's that? Uh, that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians somewhere in this, in this period of time, encouraging the uh, Corinthians. Okay? All right. Uh, and we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. He mentions that it's after Passover, right? I will say something about this in a minute. Uh, and we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days, and then there we stayed seven days. So he's really telling us this journey about how many days. You know, I, I, uh, we see that he's uh, there for, uh, at a place seven days, uh, five days, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and varieties of uh, periods of, of time, two years, uh, and, and so on. Okay. Then he says, now in verse 7, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. 
Okay, so, you know, people say, okay, when was this? Okay, it's the first day of the week. Was this Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon? Was it Sunday night? Was it Saturday night? Okay, I will suggest to us that because he's talking in this, he talks about unleavened bread, he's going to talk about Pentecost, that this is Saturday night. So when he says till midnight, he doesn't mean, well, at the 11 a.m. service. Uh, you know, he went overboard, and the people at the buffet were just up in arms, okay? Uh, that uh, uh, the next day begins at night, right? So that's, you know, that's right in our wheelhouse here at the Beth Messiah, right? So uh, that that's very important. So it, it, it's not something inordinate like he spoke till midnight. Okay, but this is really interesting on several different levels. I, first of all, he prolonged his message, all right? I mean, wow! And, you know, I, I don't think anybody complained, although one person fell asleep. <laughs> okay, as we'll see. All right. And there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And there was a certain young man named Eutychus. This is, you say, oh, that's where this passage is, right? And there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on a windowsill sinking into a deep sleep, okay? And as Paul kept on talking, kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor. So he fell down three flights, okay? And they thought he was dead or he had died, okay? But Paul stopped talking for a moment, okay? He went down and fell on him, and after embracing him, he said, do not be troubled for his life is in him. So he was resuscitated. So Paul, he stops speaking, he goes, he does, and this miracle from God takes place. Uh, and, uh, you know, and Eutychus is revived. And then, but that's not the end. Notice, usually that's where we stop telling the story. Look what it says right after that. And when he had gone back up, he had broken bread and eaten and talked to them for a long while. In other words, he didn't stop. Until daybreak, look what it says, until daybreak, and so departed. So what happens here is it gives us a little insight into uh, the methodology of Paul, into his methodology, okay? First of all, what we see from Luke is, is that when Paul did his thing, and when he was traveling, you know, after he had his great experience and and after he um, began his journeys, and he's already a veteran now, it's like 20 years in now, okay, that he doesn't see himself as having abrogated a Jewish way of life, okay? So, I, you know, I don't want to say it like, I don't want to say it like this. He didn't abrogate the Torah. I'm going to say it. He didn't abrogate a Jewish way of life. He didn't stop being Jewish, like the ish part. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, the, uh, the tradition was very important to him. This was his way of life. And so we would say he continued to live a Torah way of life. All right? Now, that's why it's always important to read Acts, to read the letters in light of Acts. Acts are his letters to the congregations, exhorting them in particular ways. The letters tell us very little, a little bit, like a little bit in Philippians, a little bit in 2 Corinthians, 
but they don't tell us a lot about his own personal way of living, okay? What is he uh, communicating, like, uh, in a way, now it's not the only thing, so don't get mad at me, uh, you know, here, but what is he saying, like, in Romans, and what is he saying, like, in Colossians, and what is he saying in Ephesians, and what is he saying in, you know, uh, in Philippians and all that? He is saying, this is very, like, superficial, like, the, the, very broadly, you don't have to be Jewish to believe in Yeshua, okay? He's telling them you don't have to be Jewish to believe in Yeshua. And so sometimes when we read his letters, we say, oh, you so, so when a Jewish person comes to know the Lord, they don't need to be Jewish anymore either. And we, because he's not addressing, it's one of the issues, he's not really addressing Jewish Messiah followers in most of his letters when it comes to personal identity. He certainly is when it comes to ethics and morals and living for the Lord and, you know, and all of that, you right? But just when, it, when he's talking about the way we uh, uh, live ethnically, we see in Acts, he never stopped being who he was. He never stopped that way of life, right? And so Luke tells us this, right? That's why he mentioned that he, sp- he basically takes uh, Passover off. <laughs> you know, uh, as it says here. And uh, and we see that it was on the first day of the week, uh, and he spoke all night. So that's kind of interesting. Then I'm just going to jump down because of this point, of this point, uh, that a little farther down, uh, as uh, the story continues, uh, it says in verse 16, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So for Shavuot, you know, these pil- uh, a pilgrimage uh, festival. So I'm going to read you something here. This is a, uh, a sermon by someone. I'm not going to say who, because I don't believe in bashing people. But I thought this was, uh, this was rather uh, interesting. All right, because it's actually a really good sermon, except for this little tiny part. Uh, oh, where? Uh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, where does he say it? Oh, I don't want to take the time. Oh, here it is. That's right at the beginning. Okay. So he's talking about this. He, so he says this about uh, Paul spent three years in Ephesus, beginning and building his congregation, and that's longer than he spelled anywhere, spent anywhere else in his ministry that we know of. He leaves, goes through Macedonia down to Corinth, and probably spends the winter of A.D. 56 in Corinth, about three months, probably wrote Romans while he was there, and then heads back up through Macedonia. He had intended to cross over, but there was trouble, so he goes back up through Macedonia over to Troas, I'm getting to it here, and then uh, gets in a boat and starts to head for Jerusalem. And it says he's hurrying in Acts 20.16 so that he can get to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. So that he says this. It has been 26 years or so that Pentecost has already become a Christian holiday. A Christian festival. And not just a Jewish one. At least he says not just a Jewish one. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't completely erase it or something, right? At any rate, the Christian that he is wants to be there for it. And he's hurrying. 
which means, you know, he's tortured whether to stay or not stay in Ephesus. Anyway, I just thought I'd show you that. But you know what? Uh, uh, again, this is a great sermon. And, uh, you know, let me tell you something. You know, I, let's just say I, we all live in glass houses, okay? And we don't throw stones, all right? But it just, uh, you know, I'm pointing that out. I, uh, and, uh, you know, I say things, I say things that uh, I uh, come back to regret sometimes, you know. Uh, you know, it's torture. By the way, you know, if you ever stand up and you do this kind of thing, it's torture to listen to yourself. It's just torturous, okay? So there you go. All right. But I just thought that was interesting. Okay. So uh, uh, he wants to be there for Shavuot. So we see the Jewish life of Paul. But there's more, uh, there's more to it than this. There's more to it than this. So, you know, one of the things I think that we learn, yeah, there we go. One, one of the things I, uh, you know, I, I think that we learn from, from this is uh, about the, uh, the single-mindedness of Paul. There's no problem speaking till midnight and then healing a person and getting right back to it all night long. And that the people are there and that, you know, most of them are still awake. Uh, you know, uh, it just tells you something about the single-mindedness, about uh, this radical faith. Uh, it tells us something about how determined and how vital everything was, uh, about uh, you know not being distracted or concerned with other issues other than teaching, fellowship, breaking bread together, praying, like we read in Acts chapter two. That uh, if we say, like, oh, we really would like to get back to that first century congregation, I don't think in our world we could tolerate it. I, 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 you know, there's too many other things that we are concerned about and that we are passionate about outside of this. And so one of the things I hope that we catch here and also in his speech that's coming up is that he is consumed with this. He's consumed with the good news, not just the message of the good news. He's consumed with growing these congregations. He's consumed with exhortation, with teaching. Uh, he is consumed uh, of growing these leaders. And I view us all as everybody in one way, shape, or form is in the leadership pipeline, whether people are in the role of leader or not. You know, office is not as important as who you are, okay? Uh, and it's very, very, very important to, to understand that. Serving is being here and taking initiative and, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, and so uh, we can learn a lot from Paul's faithfulness, you, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and also from being the hearers of this. Uh, and so settle in we got a long way to go. No. But, but I think there's a lot we can learn, uh, uh, from, from that. Uh, so in the first half of chapter 20, we see that Paul did his thing in a Jewish way, right? Very, very important for us to always be reminded of. Luke brings these things out, so they're important for us to learn. But I would say the primary thing we're supposed to get out of it is the single-mindedness, 
the faithfulness of Paul and the hearers. Okay? Very, very important. Okay. Uh, now, so as we continue, it says in verse 12, and they took away, and they took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. So, wow, you, you, you know, uh, I, they, they, there was a testimony of the power of God, the teaching, Paul's own testimony, quite a thing. Now in verse 13 it says, But we going ahead to the ship set sail for Assos, intending from there to take... By the way, you'll notice that uh, Paul's not speaking here. You'll notice that Luke is speaking. Like he's telling where, where they went together. Okay, so you know that. All right. Uh, so when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to uh, Mytilene. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day, we crossed over to Samos. And the day following, we came to Miletus. Okay? Okay. Now, where this is, is about a day's journey from Ephesus. About a day's journey from Ephesus. So these are small, you know, they're traveling, they're, they're beginning this journey. Okay? And they go to these different places. Now, at Miletus, he pauses here. And in verse 16, it says, For Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So he doesn't want to take time to stop. He, you know, Paul, uh, this is such a, uh, he's such an interesting study when it comes to his, uh, how he conducted himself. He really was a goal-oriented person, you know? Uh, he really was a goal-oriented person. Barnabas was much more sort of a, a, a people-oriented person, like an individual. Paul was more like he saw himself in the big picture, okay? And so it was important for him to be in Jerusalem for Shavuot. Now, he could, you could look at this and say, well, didn't you, why didn't you stop back in Ephesus? And just spend the time there, because he had an agenda, and it was important. And we'll see from the spirit of God, God gave him an agenda, not just a ministry, and then however you do it, but He gave him an agenda, uh, and that's important. You know, being on a schedule is like it's not a bad thing. God gives us schedules. It doesn't mean that we're quenching the spirit if I say I have I have to be somewhere at two o'clock and it's time to wrap it up. You, you know what I mean? Uh, and that's uh, eh, another story for another day. But anyway, it's just kind of interesting. So uh, he says here in verse sixteen, for Paul had decided to set sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Okay. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the congregation. So what he does is, he stays in Miletus and he tells the elders in Ephesus, I need you to come to where I am. I can't make it. I can't get over there. Okay? I need you to come to me. So that's, it's kind of interesting. All right? Uh, there's other things about this. One is, what Paul started this congregation, right? Uh, and there's not one guy. It's not like, uh, hey, Frank, you and the guys come. But he says to, the, to all of them, you come. Now, there was a point person, 
There was a point person. Anybody know who that point person was? Timothy. Okay? Uh, but he calls the elders to come. He calls them all to come. And he's going to speak to them all, not just to Timothy. Because what he's going to say is a very, very important message to the leadership and to all leadership forever. <laughs> okay? All right. So uh, here they come. Uh, and now he's going to speak to them. And when they had come to him, he said, he said to them, you yourselves know. Now, I'll just say this. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to share about his personal faithfulness. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why right at the beginning. It might seem like, why does he like, is he building himself up? You know, why is he talking about his own faithfulness? Uh, could it be because people are going to accuse him of not being faithful? It could be. And so he wants to remind, but they already know this, you know? Why is he reminded, is he building himself up? Is he like saying, uh, you know, tooting his own horn or, you know, that kind of thing? Because he does it in two times. He does it at the beginning of this little speech and at the end of this little speech. And by the way, this is the only speech that we read of him giving an act to believers. The others are to the men of Israel, and to kings and, you know, and so on. And Sanhedrin. But this is an exhortation to spiritual leaders. Okay? That's why this is a very important passage for all of us. The reason that he is talking about his faithfulness is because he wants them to join him in that faithfulness. He wants them to come away with, yeah, wow, I need to be like Paul. Doesn't he say, be imitators of me? He himself does say that. Be an imitator of me, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so when we see people who, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, you can just tell, and I'm not talking about people that get up in front of people and all the time, but, but people are role models without them realizing it, you know? And they can really engender a, a, a sense of being, you know, of motivation and encouragement just by their deportment just by the way they carry themselves. And isn't that what we all want to be? You know, that kind of testimony. So that's why he begins this little speech that way. So he says, you know, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, which came upon me through the plots, you know, of the, of the Jews, the plots of the, the Jewish community. Uh, in these cities, we read about them. Uh, we read about them uh, already. And by the way, I'm not going to read it again. I don't want to go on a bunny trail, but read 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 11 in particular. Paul talks about the difficulties. Experiencing difficulties does not equal ungodliness or a lack of God's blessing. Right? Because, you know, blessed are the persecuted. Yeshua said that. And Yeshua was persecuted. And uh, we need to understand that Paul talks about experiencing the fellowship of his sufferings. Okay? Uh, and so he experienced severe hardship, but it didn't get him down because he was single-minded. It wasn't about his own comfort. It wasn't about his own reputation. It wasn't about even his own agenda. 
He was agenda-driven because God had an agenda that he was part of. And it was very important for him to accomplish the task that God had given him to do. Just like Yeshua says in the great prayer in John 17, I glorified you by doing what you have given me to do. That's the agenda. Okay, There's the general agenda for all of us, but perhaps a particular calling in, in a person's life. And he had a particular calling to go to these different places and to return to Jerusalem because he, and we'll talk, well, we'll talk about why. Uh, it wasn't just for Shavuot that he is called to return to Jerusalem. We'll see. Okay. I, and so I, uh, uh, he says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house. I'll read the next sentence, also, the rest of the sentence. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance uh, toward God and, and faith of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. So he says, and I was bold. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable, okay? Uh, and teaching you publicly from house to house. So what's profitable? Again, this single-mindedness. Paul was not concerned about the ungodliness of the world around him other than how it would infiltrate the congregation. He was concerned, yes, about what was going on in Ephesus as much as it would infiltrate the congregation. He wasn't trying to make Ephesus a better place. i got to hold myself back. Okay, all right. His concern for the world around him, again, I'm going to say it again because we need to really get, was how it would infiltrate. So that means, positively speaking, his concern was for the, was for the body of Messiah, for the sharing of the good news, uh, you know, for testifying of Yeshua. You know, people ask me from time to time, even from our own midst, what is our mission if we're not speaking about A, B or C out there. Our mission is this. Our mission is to grow disciples of Yeshua. Disciples of Yeshua live, we live out there and we make a difference in the world. Clearly. And the more disciples of Yeshua there are, the more transformation there is in the world. So if we want to be like those early believers, hey, I'm all for it. And so, <laughs> okay. Uh, so he did not shrink from declaring uh, what was profitable and teaching them publicly. Now that's really interesting also because he knew that he was taking his life in his hands. But he would go from place to place. He wasn't underground. It's very interesting. And God uh, really protected him. And that's why there was such tumult, because it really, he really wasn't very good at hiding. Uh, you know? Okay. And then, of course, solemnly testifying the gospel to Jews and Greeks, repentance and faith in the Lord. Uh, the good news. This is what he's about. Okay? And now, in verse 22, And now... Behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except 
that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds of affliction await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Yeshua to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. So, he is bound in spirit. I'm going to suggest that, you know, you can uh, have every argument about is it is internal, that the spirit of God, because he says in verse 23, the Holy Spirit testifies that bonds of affliction await me. He is bound by the spirit. He cannot do anything else but what God has called him to do. He just can't do anything else. And so he is bound to, like bound, like, oh, like in chains. He, and he uses that terminology in the letters. You see reflections of this speech in the letters. Because in the letters, he talks about like being bound as in chains, right? To serve the Lord. He must go to Jerusalem. And in fact, in the next chapter, I, his entourage tries to talk him out of it because it's going to be bad. You know, it reminds me of Yeshua making his way to Jerusalem. It's, you know, but this was the calling. It wasn't about, is it easy for me? Not easy for me. Is it about what, what's mine or what's owed to me or what's, oh, he's a minister in chains, you see? But anyway, it's very interesting in chapter 21. I, when I, you read in verse 11, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and his hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He's, this is all to like, don't do it, Paul, right? And then he says, and when we had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> but then he you know, can't you just hear him saying the next words? Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? <laughs> for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Yeshua. I just love that. What are you trying to do, break my heart here? What? You know, anyway. But you see that he had a calling, and he shares this with us, so that we might sense that kind of radical faith and trust and action uh, in the Lord. Okay? All right. Now, you know, I, for lack of time, I'm not going to point to all the verses, but you can read in Philippians, and you can read elsewhere, where Paul regards his imprisonment as like part of his ministry. And there's lots of verses you know, to live as Messiah and to die as gain. I count everything as rubbish, you know, for the sake of knowing the Lord and being called according to his purpose. I, in the prison letters, he is rejoicing, you know? He is rejoicing. He does not base his joy or calling or ministry on his circumstances, only on the calling of God. And so, therefore, he adapted to his circumstances. You've heard me say it other times, you know, the, if I was in, if I was writing to the believers at Philippi, what I would might have asked them for if it was me was send me a cake with a file in it. 
you know, so that I could get out of prison. Because it's not right that I'm in prison. I could do much more if I'm not in prison. And, and these Philippians uh, are keeping me, uh, uh, or, you know, the Romans are keeping me from doing uh, what I need to be doing. And so I don't like them. No, he doesn't say anything like that. He just views, okay, I'm in prison. This is where I'm serving God. Which means that he adapted in so many ways to whatever circumstances he, he adapted to whatever circumstances he was in. And in Philippians, a prison letter, doesn't he say that very thing? That no matter what my circumstances are, I can do all things in Messiah who strengthens me. I can live in any kind of circumstance. May we really think about that and not be distracted by the circumstances, but simply adapt to the circumstances. Remember meek? Remember circumstances that I can't control, that I'm going to walk in a steady way, glorifying God because I know that he's, he's in it, because he's in what he's called me to do. And anybody who receives Messiah is, has a calling to be this kind of person. Okay? All right. So, just moving forward here. I, he says now, all right. I'm going to stop here. Okay. I think I'll stop here. And I, no, I'm not going to stop. Hey, what? Is it, after reading that first part? No, not, okay. I'm going to keep going just for a little while longer. Okay. All right. See, I'm motivated by the scriptures to keep going. You, blame the Bible. Okay. There you go. All right. So uh, now he's got, he uh, continues, he says, Now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will uh, see my face no more. Now, he doesn't necessarily think that he's like he's, this is like his last words. But what he realizes is, is that he's just not, he's, they're not going to see him anymore. Okay, and you know, he's going to be in Jerusalem and probably get arrested and who knows what will happen. Okay. So one of the things, so we learn a couple of things. He's bound by the will of God, and he knows in general that persecution is coming, but he does not know exactly what the future is going to bring. That's a good description of faithfulness, being bound by the will of God and being able to stay steady and you know focused and edifying everybody around him, even though he doesn't know exactly what the future will bring. I mean, I, you know, I read this and I say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, to, to live this way is something we should all, you know, uh, aspire, uh, aspire to. All right. And notice again, he also says, and now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, he, sa- he says this elsewhere, preaching the kingdom, preaching the, the full counsel of God, preaching Messiah and the resurrection, it's all you know, uh, one uh, message, because he does see this is the beginning of the Olam Haba. This is the beginning of the presence of the kingdom of God, and that is where my allegiance is, period. Okay. Therefore, now in verse 22, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Now, this is also, verses 26 and 27, is fascinating. I testify to you this day that I am innocent or pure of the blood of all men. That's a, it's a very interesting way to say that. 
And I might suggest that he sees this in terms of like, like it's an offering. You know how he talks about in other places, he's, he, you know, uh, his life is like a fragrant aroma, the, the message, and, you know, uh, and he sees himself as an offering and so on. And that this whole thing, everything that he's doing is an act of worship to God. That the entire thing is an act of worship and that he is pure in this. He has fulfilled what God has called, he is, at least in there, at least in Ephesus. He has fulfilled what God has called him to do. And so he's offered the offering. You know, he's, the, he, he is pure. He's offered the pure offering to them. And, uh, you know, and he has fulfilled what uh, he has been called to do. For I did not shrink from declaring to you, look at verse 27, the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. And so, it wasn't just get saved so you can go to heaven when you die. It wasn't just uh, live morally and ethically. It wasn't just change the world now. It wasn't just look forward to the return of Messiah. It was all of it. All of it was the discipleship that he gave uh, to them. He didn't ride one hobby horse, you know, but all of it. Uh, and, uh, and how important uh, that is. All right. Well, I think I will stop here and we'll read... Uh, the next part of this speech, which is the exhortation. What he's done here is he's talked about his faithfulness, right? And what a great lesson that is uh, for us. Next week, we'll... What is next? Today? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, uh, we will uh, uh, talk about uh, his message. And this is a great... His words in the next few verses are profound. For it helps you to under, helps us all to understand the calling of spiritual leaders, but all of us really. And uh, and so these are very important words. So as we begin a new year, may we have that kind of focus. May we have that kind of inner strength to stay focused in the midst of whatever comes our way. And uh, you know, may we uh, continue to grow disciples. You know, when Yeshua said, "Make disciples of all the nations." That does not only mean bring the gospel to people that don't know the Lord. We're growing disciples right this minute, <laughs> you know? Uh, and uh, and if, if you're concerned about what is our mission, what is our mission? Our mission is to grow disciples, whether it be through Onegs, whether it be through the service, whether it be through the sisterhood, the brotherhood, whether it be through having a, a Hanukkah party, whether it be through a teen event, uh, whether it be uh, through playing game, through playing games outside, uh, through whatever we do, all of it is for the purpose of building relationship, building disciples, of edifying one another, despite whatever circumstances may come our way. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, whether we're falling out a window. Uh, whether uh, we're being uh, persecuted uh, or we just don't like the way things are. God, I pray that nothing would distract us from what you've called us to be and called us to do. And may we find power from the Ruach. May we be bound in spirit to live that way. God, I pray that as we 
begin this new year, 5782. May we grow in that way, God. And may we be pleasing in your sight. May we be a pleasing offering. May we be a pleasing sacrifice to you, God. And we pray in the Son's name. Amen.